am um, a uh, assistant professor of criminology at Cleveland State. My background, my PhD is in criminology or is in sociology. Um, I specialize primarily in gender-based violence, um, so sexual assault, human trafficking, intimate partner violence. Um, since 2009, I've worked primarily in the applied field, uh, working with uh, primarily funded projects. Um, as a methodologist, as an evaluator, working in the, a lot with criminal justice and public health, um, uh, evaluating a variety of projects. Um, and so, um, and you know, have a lot of funded grants as a result of that. And so the combination of those things is kind of what brought about or what the, was the impetus for this grant. So uh, I'm Jiaxing Du, uh, currently a PhD candidate in Texas a and <clears throat> University. My background is information systems um, and also data science informatics. So with these projects, uh, majorly I focus on the natural language processing part using large language models to process the data um, and understand like how those uh, information system, imp I, I see those information like technology changes in the departments and how like the reports in various forms change and I also um, focus on a statistical part to get the evidence how police write their reports. Very cool. So how did you two meet and start working together? Mm -hmm. So you can probably guess of the two introductions, right? Like the, how we, you know, like the, the pair there, right? Like, mm -hmm. so I have the background in the, in specifically within sexual assault and the connections um, specifically within the Cleveland Police Department and Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office to get access to the data and the research questions and so forth. Um, and um, I got connected to Zhaoxian's uh, doctoral advisor when he was a faculty member at Kent State. Um, when I was at Case Western Reserve University, and then as faculty often do, we moved around a whole bunch. And so then <laughs> his advisor went to New Jersey um, and then Texas A&M, and then I went to Cleveland State. So we all moved around a whole bunch, but the connection there is that um, the grant, uh, this project was funded through a grant that I was the principal investigator on. I wrote the grant, came up with the idea for the, for the um, project, um, but knew enough about the methods to know that I could, we could probably do this, but not necessarily knowing or really what we would find with that. I hadn't found anything that had been done um, as we sort of talked about AI and machine learning with criminology data and criminal justice data is fairly new. Um, they're really behind the curve in almost all forms of technology, but certainly with machine learning and especially as it relates to when I wrote the grant, um, which was in um, 2017 when I wrote the grant there wasn't much out there in the criminal justice world around that. So um, Zhaoxian was the one who was the grad student who worked, we worked most close, closely together um, and he did the day-to-day -day analysis on all the data. So, um, and what I think is a really unique pair is I think you really need often two people one that specializes really well in the data and one that specializes really well in the topic to be able to do that. There was often some challenges because I know 
the topic really well, but I may not know the method really well. And he knows the method really well, but doesn't necessarily know how to translate it, it that method to the topic. So I think we made a really good pair. So that's why I thought he would make a really good um, addition to the conversation of being able to have both of those uh, sides to this to this discussion. Awesome. And what? How did you get involved in criminology? And uh, it sounds like you have a big interest in that, and that's what sort of got you mm -hmm. to write the grant in the first place. Yeah. So starting in um, late 2014, um, I was working um, at uh, Case Western Reserve University, and we were approached by then county prosecutor Tim McGinty, who had just formed a task force to investigate and follow up um, on uh, uh, untested rape kits. <clears throat> so he formed a, an initiative to address untested rape kits. They had started um, in the county to you know, inventory them and submit them. And this initiative was formed to investigate the DNA testing through, to follow up on the testing through investigations and prosecutions. And so he reached out to us um, as to be his research partner on that project um, with an initial um, pilot project that was funded actually through the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office. At the time, we didn't know it was a pilot project because we didn't know more funding would be coming. But then the federal um, initiative came along in 2015. Um, and so we were we were ahead of the curve on being able to get some of that money and go in with the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office to be their research partner. Since then, we have been their research partner on a very large number of grants um, since 2015. And so the data from that and the work that we've done since 2015 really led up to the work that we were seeing here. Because as part of that work, we were reading those reports <clears throat> as humans and kind of detecting stuff that we thought might be. We're like, hmm, why is that in a police report? Like, why are they saying it this way? Like. Why are they talking about this? Why do they mention these things, but then don't follow up with, with certain things? Um, and so we were noticing that as a human, I knew we could likely get access to a very large number of reports, which is one of the things we really needed to do this project. I was beginning to learn a lot more around what the capabilities were around AI and machine learning, what we could do with all this text data. And so um, it, those kind of forces all kind of came together and thought, I thought, well, what we already know the outcomes of these cases because these are older cases, these are cold cases. So if we could get, let's say, what were ended up being about 6,000 rape reports and we have the police reports from those rape reports and we know what happened with those cases, could we see if the language in those reports um was predicting what happened and what you know in those with those cases if they closed early or not um or how they closed or how different kinds of cases were written for certain types of victims for younger victims older victims black victims uh different kinds of things and so um that was sort of the the idea behind that and we called it signaling um which is basically you know we're because that's what we thought it was like when we were reading them they're like they're not outright stating it, but it seems like they're kind of trying to like talk about certain victims in certain ways that would indicate that maybe this, that a police officer shouldn't really spend a lot of time following up. So um, that's kind of the idea of where we got started with it. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that stood out in your article, in the article about uh, your work is 
when the police officer was interviewing somebody, um, you know, a, a rape victim at the time, she was laughing and he sort of blew it off because he thought she was just like making fun of something. But like, the, and then the article went into more detail. It's like, well, that's maybe how she was handling at that time because it's a trauma, mm -hmm. a traumatic event. Like, mm -hmm. and that's, a, that happens a lot that cases like that get blown, blown off because the officer at the time doesn't think it's serious. And also they're, the initial report is like very important to the investigation. Is that true as well? Yeah, and there really hadn't been any research to <clears throat> really try to talk about that. There'd been a lot of research about all these other characteristics, but um, you know, we know, especially, you know, the power of language and the power of words. And that as a as, as someone in criminology, I know that police often investigators don't actually see a victim first, they see a report first. So <clears throat> it's a patrol officer or someone who responds to the call first, who goes and takes that initial report and then details all that information and then forwards that information to a detective to follow up. So the detective is the first, first reads the report, doesn't actually talk to the, often to the victim. Um, before reading the report. So we had the idea that like, yes, that what was contained in that would make a big difference, especially in a place like Cleveland where, you know, um, an urban jurisdiction where there's often heavy caseloads. So they're gonna be making decisions about which cases to follow up on based upon the contents of those reports. Um, and so, yes, we had read those and, you know, oftentimes officers seem confused about, victims' behaviors or what they expect those behaviors to be. Um, uh, and so they're trained to sort of note that in reports, like note most pertinent facts or note this. And so noting something that like seems odd to them would seem normal to them, right? So if it seems odd that someone is laughing, mm -hmm. it would seem like, well, that seems odd, so I should note that. But like now that we know that that's a, actually you know a fairly typical response, or that people don't have a stereotypical response to trauma, that um, noting those types of things and many other things could have also played a, a role in that. Yeah, very interesting. So, like, um, for when you got when you got the grant, and what what was the game plan when you got the grant? You got the money to do everything. How did it look on your end? Like, did you, was the first step to get all the reports or, and then sort of analyze all the data? Was there a thesis behind um, the project you're doing? Uh, things like that. <clears throat> yeah, so um, we knew we could uh, get access to, like I said, almost 6,000 rape reports, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, really amazing. You know, often researchers just don't get access to that. And the reason why we could is because we were already researching them <laughs> with the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office. Like we already had access to them. We were already working with the Cleveland Police Department and the Prosecutor's Office. And so we had already had our permissions there. We already had access to their systems. However, and I think this might be of interest to some of your readers or listeners, and I guess readers on the yeah, both, that, right? Yeah, yeah that the that the way the way people think how the criminal justice systems work and how they actually do are two very different things. Like the CSI has given them a very weird mm -hmm. sense of like how police actually use their electronic management systems, and so they're very outdated. 
So the way that the prosecutor's office electronic management system is set up, which is what we had access to, was that they put these reports in basically like a folder and each case had its own folder. So that means that we had to like go into all 6,000 files, find like physically. the report, physically, like okay. literally really go into mm -hmm. each of the 6,000. Or actually, there was more. There was about 6,400. Not all of them had the reports that we needed and other sorts of things. So the full sample or full population was 6,400. And we had to like find the, you know, go into the folder for that report. You know, we had a full list of cases, find that folder, pull that re um, report out, save it, right? Save it, save it, save it. That took forever, right? Like scan then, it, like you scan it into computer, like a computer, you, pretty much. Or? You save it as like a PDF into okay. like into a, into box into mm -hmm. you know, and then then we gave it over to Jajen, who then like we told him, okay, like <laughs> can you automate turning these over from PDF into text files? Okay, right. And but are all these are all these documents at different locations too? Or are they all in one area in Cleveland? Like, did you have to go all over for the mm. 6,400? No, luckily they were all in one place. They were oh, all in good. the prosecutor's mm -hmm. office database. Mm -hmm. So we just had to have a full list of all their files, which we had. And so we had to just go one by one into their system and look them up and get the police reports okay. out and then save them into our system. And then, you know, um, but these cover over two decades worth of reports. So some of the reports are a mess. Some of them are like copies of copies of copies. Some of them are handwritten field notes. Like, you know, you can imagine like what tw over 20 years of police reports might look like. Um, Just reading the handwriting would probably be difficult. Yeah, yeah, some of them were so bad that we actually had to use like dictation software where we actually just read them into dictation oh, wow. instead of or typing them. Like we had to do a variety of things to try to do that. But he was able in an amazing way that only computer scientists and other sorts of really smart techie people can do to convert those in a much faster automated sort of way. Jajan, do you want to talk about, you use Python to do that, correct? Yes, and um, the OCR AI technology can recognize your handwritten, even if it's images or their copies of copies, the AI can recognize that. So it really like, accelerates this process. Seems like everybody's using Python these days. Rachel, were you, you, you sort of spearheaded this. So did you give direction to everybody on what to do? Yes. Um, and then mm -hmm. how many people were helping you at this time? Because it sounds like it's a, a big amount of work. To yeah, is the, yeah. so uh, I had a team of, of about four or five people. Not everyone worked full time on mm -hmm. the projects. Like we had other projects as well. But yeah, so we had four or five people on the team um, working on various times to, to convert all of that. Then we had to go through a very extensive like quality control process because the conversion didn't always convert correctly. And as you could probably guess, um, there wasn't, police officers didn't use spell checker or didn't actually write well. And like, yeah. didn't actually, when they were typing these up often sometimes with literal typewriters or, you know, it was before much of the software that would be able to like fix problems grammatically. So, it, sometimes they weren't conversion errors, they were just typos. 
And also police reports are full of abbreviations. Like that's how they write reports, right? So they're like, so even trying to get the computer to understand a gazillion different types of police abbreviations took a little bit, right? Because we had to like work through what does LT mean? Does it mean Lieutenant or does it mean light? Like in likes, light skinned when they're talking about gotcha. a suspect. Very interesting. So did you, do you have police officers help you convert those, all those abbreviations as well? Like when you had a question, did you just ask somebody? Yeah, sometimes. So since I was working with a lot of the individuals from that task force or mm -hmm. former uh, Cleveland police officers, some I would do some, we looked up some, I just know because I've been reading police reports for so long. Um, and so, yeah, through a whole series of, and we had like a going along, you know, sort of Excel list of like all the possible abbreviations um, for what something could mean. Um, and actually we, as part of our re final report for this, we actually did a long sort of detailed process and we wrote like all this stuff because what we wanted to do was um, kind of memorialize this process for other researchers um, who would maybe go through this um, because a lot of um, electronic management systems or they call them LERMs systems for law enforcement, they don't, they, they have the electronic, they have the electronic data, the text data in mm -hmm. their systems, but their systems don't allow them to share or print anything off other than PDFs. <clears throat> so like there is no really sharing of electronic data. Does and that make if, sense? Even if, yeah, if it, if it was shareable, like are you the only person that could have access to this data or can oh. the general public go in and get this data too if they wanted to? The data specifically for this project? Correct, yeah. yeah. Or I guess, or and then on top of that, maybe police reports in general, like um, can people go in and if they want to research on their own, can they do that? So you and well, it depends on the state laws in, in each state. So in Ohio, um, uh, at least incident reports are a matter of public record. Um, so you can get those, but no police department would give you 6,000 of them because they would have to pull them one at a time. So they would deny that that records request because no one, because they, they there's no, because they would literally have to go in because they can't just say like, give me all reports for all years and then print them all. They'd have to like go to each one and like pull the report and then send it to, you know, sort of at right. least. So you'd have to create 6,000 over 6,000 requests pretty much. Cause you'd have to do or, one for every Right, or, or some variation. I mean, I think you could probably request like it in a smaller batches, mm -hmm. um, but they will deny FOIA requests for larger ones because it's just too time consuming for them to do. But that had already been done for us because they were already all PDFs. We just had to like take them and make them text files. Gotcha. To get your, to your other question, the data from this as a requirement of the federal grant is archived with the National Criminal Justice Data Archive. Um, but our data, because it's, they're all, you know, it's some, um, four million words from rape reports that wow. really cannot be de-identified, fully de-identified. Um, we worked, Jojen did a really great job to try to de-identify the data, but the more you de-identify it, the more you remove, you remove the substantive words, right? So you could say, remove all numbers, 
right? Because that would remove addresses. But then if you remove all numbers, then you remove all dates, you remove all first person, second, you know, like you're removing all the substantive information that then makes the report make sense. Okay. So we have what, so they actually have a very sensitive version of an archive called an enclave where it is archived, but someone has to get special permission. Um, and you have to go through a certain, you know, a, a pretty rigorous process and you have to physically go there to access that data. Gotcha. So it would be a little bit different, but you, if someone really, if some AI expert out there wants to go look at this on yes. top of what Rachel's done, they could do that. Yeah. Um, great. And then, so you have now at this point, you've got all the data into the sister systems. Jojen has got this data as well. Like, how the heck do you go about at this point, like filtering out what you want? It sounds like the first thing you guys looked at is bias, if that's correct. Yeah, so we started with um, sentiment analysis um, because of the idea that you know police reports aren't supposed to have sentiment. <laughs> I mean, by the structure of them, um, they aren't supposed to have opinions. Um, and um, I, you know, we knew that sentiment analysis and other types of natural language processing was really based off using it off like, you know, internet data or, pub, you know, like when you're talking consumer data, when you're talking about how much you like an iPhone or other sorts of things like that, the structure of it was, was not really designed for something so formulaic as a police report. So we knew the technique could fairly easily be applied and Jojen did that really well. You have these like public dictionaries, right? Jojen, you can talk about those dictionaries if you want for the for your audience folks that might know more about those dictionaries. But there's public dictionaries that you can use that will score how much opinion or sentiment is in your text. But those weren't designed for police reports. Police reports are some of the most formulaic data that you can possibly get. Um, and so we found it was very formulaic. However, it took a little bit for us to kind of weed through the formulaic to get to the sort of meatier part of, of those reports. I can speak about the methodology as well. So it's two years ago, there is no chat GPT, uh, so no lab, but there are lab two models. But those large models are black box, which did not add knowledge to those bias analysis in the police reports. So instead, we took a very traditional natural language processing methods, mostly um, statistical methods, means um, so usually normal documents, normal uh, police reports will say rip, rip, rip. And if there are some weird words appears, you see that it's very low possibility those words will appear. We can calculate those possibilities and say, okay, here is a strange words or phrases we detect it. And those words pop up and we can, and Rachel and those experts has more knowledge so they can analyze, okay, why these weird words appears. Mm -hmm. So when the weird word appears, you sort of just gave that to Rachel at that point and said, hey, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's an anomaly mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we um, looked those depressing reports together, but Rachel is very positive and she leads this team very well and she has all the knowledge to analyze those. Yeah, so we did find some really interesting things preliminarily around that, like 
tangentially related words. So like things like basketball were in, was in one of those, like it didn't appear in a whole lot of reports, but we were like, why is basketball like showing up as being predictive? Um, right. So we looked up the reports of like, okay, what's the context of the word basketball, right? It's not happening a lot, but it seems to be quite predictive of a more negative. Well, like when you say predictive, so basketball, the word basketball actually came up in the report. Is that what was flagged? Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. And so we were, because we knew which cases didn't go forward, right? So we, um, we were like, oh, you know, it's not happening very often, but when this word appears, it seems like it's you know signaling something, but what it was actually doing is it was sort of tangentially related to the nature of the crime. So it wasn't basketball, nothing about basketball. It was that they were at basketball courts or leaving basketball courts or had just got done playing basketball or other sorts of things. So as a victimologist, what that says to me is that it's picking up the fact that these are kids, that they're youth, they're adolescents, and they're playing basketball, right? Like the fact that, so it's it's not basketball, it's picking up on a common factor that would be that, you know, so what, you know, they're picking up that they're kids or adolescents that are okay. in or around outdoors and outside. So it's picking up the fact that, you know, girls in particular, in certain neighborhoods are more likely to be sexually assaulted when they're outdoors outside by strangers. And we have published some work on that. And so like where they were coming to and from didn't matter as much as the fact that that word was saying, oh, these are the, this is a risk factor just because they're outdoors and outside in certain neighborhoods. And that happened to be a common thing. So like, so that was one of the things where it was like, oh, well, this isn't really a signaling word. This is just picking up like victimology patterns in the data. Okay. Like words come up. I'd imagine I mean, my, my mind is just sort of going on a tangent yeah. here. But words come up. Don't like don't, don't words come up that sort of tie specific cases together as well. Like if there's a guy that's, you know, unfortunately raped 10 yeah. or 12, 20 girls, I would think mm -hmm. that the report might have words that come up that sort of corroborate that as well uh, does that actually happen or is that just no we'd like to think so yeah. you really need the reports often are not very detailed enough to okay. do that even uh we've ha even have some publications on one rapist who's connected to 22 rapes by dna so like you know like these are stranger rapes they would never have been connected they're so very different uh -huh. they wouldn't have been connected had it not been for dna um and he was so different in all of them, they wouldn't have connected. So like, he, like the report certainly, if you read them, you wouldn't have thought that they were connected to the same person. He wasn't, he didn't say the same things. He didn't act the same way. So I think you may be, be able to pick up some if it's something really unique or a particularly exactly. unique MO or like particularly graphic or a particularly like extreme fetish or, extremely like um, gratuitous violence or other sorts of things that might stand out. But those are actually, you know, a much more uncommon type of, of rape. So then you guys, you get these, you get these common words that come out and then um, like, what does that lead to? So those words pop up. Is there anything else in Jojen's uh, work that sort of helps you to put things together to um, see which cases maybe, maybe got pushed under the rug that should be 
um, prosecuted to this day or like brought to back to the for, uh, forefront? Yeah, so we um, we went through a whole series of things where we were tr we were able to get the sentiment and the subjectivity of the reports using these public dictionaries. And then, but we had to sort of make sense of what that meant. Like, what does it mean to have subjectivity in a report, like in a report of rape? Like, what, what does it mean to, for an office? Because the officer is writing, you have to remember like a report, a rape, uh, you know, a report of a crime, an officer is writing often third person. So the victim states this and this happened to, in these cases, happened to her. So that's the subjectivity part. Like. They're personalizing the the part of what what happened to the victim, as compared to, you know, victim is a known runaway. Victim did this. Victim did that. That's not a personalization. But the third the third person as well. Like they're writing these reports in the third person, but really it's just it's a mask for what they're thinking. Like it, it, they could write it in first person. Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah. they have their subjective sub mm -hmm. subjective bias mm -hmm. when they're writing an objective right. report. And that some of the things that were the most that were the most damning in the reports were very short reports, mm -hmm. um, and there were ones that were written with very factually, which is not really what we expected. Where it was just a series of short victim blaming statements, um, where it was like victim is a known runaway, victim is a known crack abuser, you know, cocaine abuser, victim can't remember this, victim doesn't know this, victim doesn't, you know. So it's like a whole series of like, you know, statements about what the victims know, do, say, or statements about you know some characteristic of the victim, and those were really, and especially when they're short, are some were really the most damning of all the reports. Um, and the, the sort of best reports, uh, best in, in terms of better outcomes, were the ones where they wrote it, like they wrote about the real nature of a rape, which is that she was scared. You know, they wrote, they wrote about the statute elements of a rape. So, you know, police are actually also supposed to include the elements of a crime. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you're getting all those like details about what happened to whom and how much, but also like what actually, you know, she was scared, she did this, he forced, you know, like you're capturing a lot of those details. And then those were some of the more successful cases, basically like writing as if they cared that they wanted that case to go forward. It's also from the textual analysis. So we like down all the textual analysis you can think about on the uh, police reports, the length of the reports, how many sections you write, because for police reports, there are different sections mm -hmm. from the narratives to like follow up, uh, follow ups and all the different things. And uh, we also calculate how many typos do they make? So all those grammar mm -hmm. issues um, and the sentiment subjectivity and also all the black box models, we run all of them and we pick up those uh, like signaling parts and write that in the reports. Very cool. So I had a question, uh, Rachel or Junjun, whichever one of you is, thinks would be better to answer this or a little bit of both is fine. So we touched on a little bit about how AI is being implemented into the project. Uh, I just want to know like, with a little bit more detail, maybe behind the scenes, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of AI powered resources are you using? Uh, how are they helping? And then do you see any limits with 
the sort of AI sources that you're using? So when we talk about AI, we generally think about deep learning uh, at the time we write the reports 2020. So at the time, like BERT, uh, those language models were getting popular. But the pen stage in those deep learning AI is their black box, although there are some explainable techniques developed later. And we found though, so I can just send this document or send those sentences to the language model and we label them. Okay, so this sentence is biased, that sentence is not. And the AI model can detect, okay, so this is a biased sentence, but the model cannot tell you why. So that is really Penn State. Uh, and also there are limitations. So it's still a limitation in the AI community, like the length of the document you can input to a model. At that time, we can only do a segment. We cannot do the whole reports. Like some reports, generally they are 500 words, 2000 words, and the model cannot handle them. It's still a problem nowadays. So uh, instead of those deep learning models, at last, we took the more traditional machine learning methods like Nave Bayes and uh, support vector machines, those uh, more traditional, but they can just treat all the documents as a bunch of numbers and run the statistics and have a very good explanation because then we will have the words or phrases we tried. So unigram means one word, bigram means two words phrase, uh, three grams means three words phrases. So we see the diff like chunk the documents into different lengths of phrases, see which kind of phrases is more predictive in, the, in our final analysis. So yeah, we really wanted to look at like we we thought using both methods adds to this much bigger picture, which is why we did something really unique with our publications. Normally, you wouldn't submit two papers <laughs> at the same time to the same yeah. journal, right? Um, and um, I it was it was because I approached the editor of the journal. And I was like, you know, we can't possibly put this into one paper. It's a much, you know, this is a big, you know, it's a big study. It's too much there, but you don't, you can't really do one without the other because one of the papers is looking at this sentiment, right? The, the, the meat, you know, these like trying to score the value, the, the, the words and the opinions. And one of them is really looking at the, the actual words and phrases, the trigrams in them and saying, what, what are the actual phrases that are predicting, that are most common in cases of runaway, case, runaway victims or cases in the unfounded, and unfounded cases where um, an officer is supposed to investigate a case and rule that a, a crime didn't occur. So they're basically saying, you know, something didn't, you know, rape didn't happen. Um, or with cases that, you know, a, a prosecutor said that they would indict, which are the most successful cases in our sample. So you really kind of needed both because one just tells you a score, but doesn't tell you what the text is, right? And one tells you what the text is, but doesn't tell you anything about like, how it goes in with the other part. Um, and so we wanted two at the same time to tell the bigger story. And so that's why we submitted both at the same time. Um, and I think that it's a very complementary sort of viewpoint using different, you know, um, different methods. Awesome. So you, you have a, you have a score for every report. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Got it. We have multiple scores. Yeah, we have, we have multiple scores, actually. Yes. Oh, it's not right. just one aspect yeah. of them. But is it, is so it sort of like when you when you guys analyze this data, Zhoujen's analyzing the data with, with deep learning and other AI things as well. Mm -hmm. Did, did you sort of, you discovered a lot of this stuff on your own. It wasn't like through Rachel, because you, mm -hmm. you saw the data, right? It was coming to you. So you sort of helped Rachel as well with this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like coming from you, Rachel, saying, mm -hmm. I need this, this, and this. The data sort of presented itself to you, and it made a lot of um, revelations, I guess, uh, to mm -hmm. both of you at that time to, to help you understand what's going on here. Yeah, so I had zero criminal justice background. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, although my father is a police officer, but that is a different story. He did not awesome. teach me those. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I know all the- Actually, I didn't know that, Zhejin. I don't think you ever told me that in all these years. Yeah, that's a big, 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 big piece there. <laughs> that was that nice. Yeah, yeah that is like 5,000 yeah. more report. <laughs> so um, I know all the natural language processing techniques and those are so just programming. So I can try all the established methods and I can also develop some new things for the police reports. I think that's one fascinating thing about those automation or computer science is we can just start trying them. Mm -hmm. And after we get all the results, we can try to explain them. Also, uh, and because I touch the data so I can uh, read them myself and I think, okay, so here is the distribution of the data. And mm -hmm. here are some uh, common typos. So I can choose, uh, I think the best method to it. I can choose based on the number of words the length of the reports, if there is um, language style, because the language style means, um, do they really care about grammars like uh, states, victim states, victim stated, are those two different things? And we discuss this, okay, so those tense, those um, different ways to manipulate the language, does those reflect the police officer's opinion? And this is really um, new and only uh, interdisciplinary research can find those research questions here. I will give a really great example because he's probably not going to brag on himself very much. But initially in the, the proposal, I had written to do topic modeling, which was the idea of kind of taking topics or kind of, you know, getting to the text. Um, and we did try that, but um, it wasn't working out very well. The topics were kind of all like, kind of just weren't showing up very well. And it was Jajen's idea because of his knowledge of the methods much more than me. Of Like here, I think here you should be using trigrams instead of this other thing. And we can do it around these predictive outcomes. And so I think, you know, uh, I knew about the technique of topic modeling. It wasn't working very well. So his ability to sort of pivot and find a technique that would work better for these data um, really shows that complement of having a, um, our, you know, our pair that we do. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. It seems like you guys have really complementary strengths. Like you said mm -hmm. at the beginning, that really helps this. Um, I was wondering about What's your next step in development? Like, what are you currently working on right now? So we had the two papers um, come out at the same time, and we have a big report that we wrote um, as part of a requirement for the grant that's archived already and it's online. Um, and so we are working on 
at least two, maybe three more papers. Um, so some of the bigger findings that we found were um, the runaway cases. Some of the some of the worst written reports were about runaway victims. Um, and we knew that going in because we had read a lot of those reports and you sh those reports are some of the saddest reports you've ever read. So we knew that as a human reading them, we saw that and showed that quantitatively. And so we want to really, you know, show all of our methods there. So we're, we're going to write a paper on that. We want to dig in deeper to the unfounded cases um, because we have such a large sample. Um, we did find a very interesting race effect. Uh, showing um, African-Americans cases uh, had, you know, sort of worse outcome, worse, you know, worse scoring. Um, and I'm, I, we, but 65% of the victims are African-American because this is based primarily on Cleveland data and Cleveland, you know, Cleveland yeah. uh, disproportionately likely to be victims of crime. So, <clears throat> Uh, we want to really dig in deeper there. I think it has something to do with the victimology patterns because we've published on subsamples of these data, meaning that it's not just the race of the victim, it's a combination of the race and the victims and how they were raped. Like, were they raped outside by a stranger? Like, so it's a, because you, you wouldn't find a pattern just for 65% of your cases. That's way too much. Like, you, either the effect would be washed out. So um, we, I wanna dig in a little bit deeper there. And then um, we also have an idea, Jashen, do you wanna talk about idea for sort of an extension of a, sort of a, a completely, so we wanna publish more because there are more findings there that we didn't have opportunities to publish off of. But uh, Jashen, do you wanna talk about other ideas? Yeah, Sushu and I had discussed about the applications. Um, so, since we are this, uh, researching on the police reports, we want to help the police officer write better reports. So um, our team is developing training materials for police officers. And uh, personally, I'm interested in can police officer has like dedicated like own, a model only for police officer to help them write reports. You cannot just uh, connect to internet and ask ChatGPT to revise, revise your reports, but mm -hmm. you can have something on your police departments help you write reports. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my uh, next step. Awesome. Yeah, because I think a lot, of, a lot of police officers are under, especially in Cleveland, because I see it um, mm -hmm. living here, they're under a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, and this can be sort of something that someone could look at and be like, oh, the police officers suck, like they should have done mm -hmm. better on this but the training needs to be there. Um, that's probably a huge thing to help them out because they're under, they've got so much pressure of violent crime that some things get pushed under the table or something's got to give. So th that's awesome that you're doing the, the, you know, potential training for police officers on writing the reports. Um, one other thing too, is it, it sounds like you guys are doing, doing all the research on this. Is it possible to have someone come along and open up old cases to prosecute people based on these biases that that the police officer that like you can see objectively is happening from from your research. 
You mean like uh, like uh, prosecuting the police officers or prosecuting no, people if you're, fa you're finding the crime. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Or reopen the case or whatever the terminology is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think, and also because I have other projects with the Cuyahoga County Prosecutors, the Cold Case Unit, um, who are working on um, uh, sexually motivated, unsolved sexually motivated homicides and, uh, uh, and rapes <clears throat> um, that have DNA forensic evidence connected to them. So I think I think there's some really great opportunities to advance ways of thinking about how police can access data and and really um, put those connections together <clears throat> as the ways that you're talking about because logically that's what you would want, right? Like right. you're thinking, why can't you just search where's all the other cases in this area and those sorts of things. But <clears throat> the, the, the systems are often too cumbersome or, or that's not really how they work in their daily lives, but I think that they could. And so really kind of getting folks up to speed so that they can see those connections or see, see um, even you know evidence connections or things that haven't been tested. Make, in other words, making those the data, like the text livable instead of pictures, which are what they work with, right? They work with PDFs, which are just pictures and file folders mm -hmm. and all their rich like data is just stuck in a, in a, you know, in a picture that's not really available to them. Yeah. It's, uh, the the police, like, I know, I know, I mean, I have nowhere near the experience you guys have on this, but just dealing with police reports in Cleveland, it's like you said, it's an antiquated system and it's mm -hmm. not opened up. So it makes it hard for someone to come in and find out, find data, analyze it. And then, you know, like I, I just imagine if I, my wife or someone in my family was a victim of rape, I'd want to go in, mm -hmm. see your data and maybe be like, try to tie the pieces together myself to help the police out. Um, so maybe that will happen, but one day, the data might open up internally in the police departments to make it easier for the detectives mm -hmm. to actually analyze the data in a more objective way. So um, it's really awesome what you guys are doing. I was just wondering, and this is maybe what you're going to get at, is what is your vision for this project in the long term? You know, you guys are putting a lot of research into this, developing these systems. How do you see these being used in the long term, or at least hope that they are used? Well, um, I mean, the, uh, you know, the work that I do, the best part of the work that I do um, is that is the connections to to the community um, and to police, you know, like is the access that I have to individuals to be able to give the information from research to translate into practice um, because of the connections. <clears throat> so you're not just doing research and then it gets put behind a paywall and an article that no one reads. So for this one, we really wanted to do something different. So, you know, for example, we created infographics that we put online and other sorts of things that were like, here's the recommendations. So I, for example, I sent those out to some, like just as like beginning ones, like to folks that I know who train law enforcement officers um, uh, in, in around sexual assault. Um, and I was like, here, use these, see if they, you know, send them to your folks, see if this is useful or helpful put it in connection to the research, show them the connections there of where you're not, you're not trying to tell officers like you hate, 
you know, you're terrible. You hate victims, don't you? Because that may not, that may be the case, but it's likely not. It's that the, 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 this writing appears in a way that they, whether intentionally or not. And so, and they were taught to write this way. In fact, most officers are still taught to write in this very like perfunctory sort of way that removes the nature or the the reality of rape from the crime report. And so we're really trying to get this now into the hands of those that are doing this training to make it very accessible to individuals. Um, but I think on the tech side, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, right now, basically, the technology is the same as it was before, which is you just have an open text box. I mean, before it was a typewriter and now you just have an open text box, but that's how officers write. Like there are no prompts, there are no ways, there's no structure to it. There's no like fields that, you know, like it is literally an open text box where, where they're just like, write whatever you want, just, you know. <laughs> and so you can imagine all the different ways that you would get a police report from just an open text box where there is no structure. And right. I think really with technology, there's no reason to be able to do that because we can easily put prompts, you can put structure, you can use the, even the stuff around chat GPT to help automate some of it and then have the, that rich text and that rich um, detail about the rapes where the officer puts that in, but at least there's some standardization around the elements of the crime. And it could prompt you to really say like, hey, you didn't include this. Hey, you should rephrase this. Hey, we're gonna help you write some of this. So same, almost like a combination of like Grammarly and <laughs> ChatGPT or something. Of course, I'm not a software developer and nor do I want to start my own software development company. But like that was, that's the sort of what I envision would be very useful. Okay, and I think uh, maybe some people in our audience might be interested in writing something like that, so that would be <laughs> helpful. But yeah, but like you, you do a survey online, right? There's certain prompts, and then it, the depending on what you write in the first prompt, <clears throat> second question might be different for the for the next one, you know. So something like things like that. Um, one thing that I, I know I keep harping on, but is there something? Like from your research so far, is there any cases that came up that you're like, wow, this one got pushed under the rug. It should definitely be reopened. Is is anything like come like that in front of you guys that you sort of push to the police at that point to say, hey, look at this one? Nothing because we didn't um, we we didn't look at the ones where they weren't open already because the task force okay. had already opened them all. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so we are actually looking them after the task force had already done that. That's okay. how we had access to the data. So in fact, we had even a better viewpoint. We had the viewpoint once DNA testing had shown it and once you had the ability of hindsight. So you had forensic and you had hindsight and then you could look back to that case and go, well, no wonder this case didn't go anywhere, but also look at, and so there's that example in the cleveland.com story that we cite where, you know, there's that, uh, the, the guy, and there was that one report where it was like, victims clothes aren't dirty and disheveled. And you're like, well, why is that in there? Like, there's no contact. Why are you saying that? Like, there's no contact. Maybe it's because it, it was a backyard rape, an mm -hmm. outdoor backyard rape where you're like, okay, well, maybe there's some context for why you would say that, but you didn't, like, 
you didn't say why you why you, that's important. So it seems like you're blaming the victim or you're not believing gotcha. her. And so we call those like unqualified statements. Like you put that in there, but there's nothing to prompt the officer to say like, hey, you've got to explain why you're saying this gotcha. because that that is not by itself enough information. And so, and so the, and the victim got a rape kit, the rape kit wasn't tested. Fast forward many years later, I think it's eight years later, the rape kit actually gets tested. P.S. It tests to a guy who had just actually been um, arrested in in the act of raping a woman in the snow. A police officer actually had to pull him off of a victim as he's wow. raping her in the snow in Cleveland. And he hit to another rape kit and he had, you know, I think how many he had five other sexual offenses in his criminal history. So when you put that case now that report in the context of his of the bigger one you're like mm -hmm. that's all these cases are going to slip through the cracks because that report was easily dismissed is it because it had that in there maybe maybe not okay. but like if we wrote that better maybe that maybe that victim would have had better justice to begin with and maybe okay. he wouldn't have gone on to you know, commit all these other acts of rape. So it's all—it's almost like you got the all the research you're doing is to help like future cases from here on out because mm -hmm. that's the the writing of the reports is, is super important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you see this potential, this sort of model having potential beyond rape cases, maybe uh, murder cases, theft, yep. and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think the sh I think if you're going to find signaling, that was our supposition. If you're going to find signaling in any type of crime, it's going to be in rape reports. Um, uh, for all the reasons we can all imagine, but I think you can, you can get the structure of writing better reports. You can get at some aspect of bias um, and some aspect of improving report writing for almost all types of crimes <clears throat> because even the sort of statutory elements of crimes, there's some good research looking at um, machine learning. Not my, you know, somebody else has done some really good research about like how very few re actually police reports are good at capturing this, the actual elements of a crime, which is needed when a prosecutor actually charges the crime because there's not enough information to know what specific things to charge and how many to charge with. And so, um, like even some of the more basic just legal stuff not necessarily even bias but you know i think there's great potential for lots of other types of of crimes and reporting on that and just learning ways to you know like ways to analyze criminal justice data to find trends to find connections to find you know uh social network analysis of even text stuff of trying to link you know like words and phrases to locations to, to, you know, I think there's some really cool things that could be done with that as well. If you mapped like phrases to locations, to people, to victims, like, you know what I mean? And some really yeah. relational sorts of things, you could find some really cool stuff. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, was there anything that we didn't cover today that maybe you wanted to talk about? Or is there a way that we can follow this development further? Well, uh, Georgina and I are going to be presenting, we're going to be submitting an, um, a um, proposal for the um, ACJS, which is the Academy for Criminal Justice Sciences, 
um, which will be in March. The presentations will be in March. Um, and we're going to still be continuing to do this. I'm a director of a research center, and so we'll be in Cleveland and at Cleveland State. So we'll be certainly distributing things on our social media about that. And Jajin is about to finish his PhD, um, and so uh, we're excited for him to finish and go on the market. So I'm sure he'll have some some stuff out as well on both his PhD, which is not on this topic, um, as well as uh, some of the stuff on ours as well. Um, is there any uh, like any kind of like donation sites or anything like that that we can put in the video uh, um, in, in below that uh, people can link to? That we can yeah, link to? yeah, I would say two things, especially when you talk about rape. I'll always try to say um, for resources. So to maybe make a link to um, the Cleveland, especially the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center or the National Hotline. Um, there is a national hotline. So especially for people who may hear this or may be victims or may know of individuals who are victims or may have family members who are victims, if you know they want to find out more information or you know stuff that they heard is troubling. Um, there are national hotlines. Um, the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center has a chat line, so they can chat 24 hours a day. So there's some resources I want to be able to provide individuals. Um, uh, and I would say, you know, if someone, you know, donations or other things should certainly go to um, victims organizations that provide support for survivors. And so organizations such as in, locally, the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center or RAIN nationally, uh, which is rape. Uh, Rain R A I N N um, would be able to to be those ones that I would want to most emphasize. Yeah, well, thank you so much for mm -hmm. uh, coming out today. Uh, anybody watching, subscribe to Ryan and I's free newsletter. It's a weekday newsletter. Uh, covers the latest and greatest in artificial intelligence, and then we do deep dive articles on Sundays as well, going into projects like this that are really awesome and emerging in the AI space. Mm -hmm.